guys, welcome back to the Oh My Allergies podcast. It's your host, Valencia. And if you are new to the Oh My Allergies podcast, it's a podcast that's about all things allergies. So whether you have food allergies, whether you have seasonal allergies, whether you're allergic to beauty products, whether you're allergic to just a lot of different things and just to be able to build a community to bring us all together to help us all be able to navigate life and thrive with our allergies. So if you are not subscribed to the podcast already, then be sure to hit that subscribe button. And if you have not rated and reviewed our podcast, then be sure to do that so that we can get you guys' feedback. But for today's episode, we're going to be talking about can you actually be allergic to wine and what's really connected to and like the root of this type of allergy. I thought that this would be a really interesting topic to tackle on the podcast because I don't really think a lot of people think that they could be allergic to wine or I know that there's people that I know in my life or that I've seen on social media talk about how they have drunk wine and then they've gotten some sort of reaction or they felt a little bit weird and they didn't really know what was going on and then they found out that they had an allergy um, or some sort of an intolerance. So I wanted to be able to shed light on this type of allergy and to be able to have this type of discussion here on the pod. So before we get into all of that type of information and all that jazz, you guys know I have to talk about what's been going on. So what's been going on with me? So I recently finished the show Fuller House on Netflix. And if you aren't familiar with Fuller House, then Fuller House is basically a, I guess, spinoff, I guess you could say, for Full House, the original show that came on like years ago. And it has, you know, Candace Cameron Bure on there. There's Jody Sweden, Andrea Barber. So that's basically, you know, DJ Tanner, um, Stephanie Tanner and Kimmy. And they are all in the show and it's basically like following their lives as they're all trying to raise their families underneath the same roof um, that the original house from Full House. And they are just living life and just the ups and downs that come with, you know, three different families living together underneath one roof. And... Of course, the show's really funny. I really liked it. The show came out like years ago, and so they just wrapped up the series. This was like season five that just um, got finished um, airing on Netflix, if that's even the right term. I guess maybe finished, I guess they uploaded the remainder of the episodes because they had part of season five come out last year. So I finished watching um this the rest of the episodes because it just came out I want to say in maybe like May or June is when the new episodes came out and it was really sad especially like the last episode the last episode was like really 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 sad because it just felt like everything was coming to an end and you know all of them got married and it was just really cool just to see how they brought so many of the other characters from past seasons to this last episode of the series so you know some of the kids is love interest from previous episodes some of the adults is love interest from previous episodes just to see how everything wrapped up and it looked really nice at the same time so highly recommend that show if you've not seen it like what are you waiting for especially if you liked Full House, then I highly, highly, highly recommend you try watching Fuller House. So yeah, I just finished watching that show. And another thing that's been going on with me is that I've been really thinking a lot about 
And I'm probably not the only person that's been thinking about this, especially from a student perspective of what going back to school is going to look like with like COVID and how that's going to affect whether or not my classes are going to go back to being online again. And honestly, I'm not really opposed to having online classes again because prior to COVID-19, I did the whole online school thing before. So I'm not like 100% opposed to it, but I guess we'll just see how that plays itself out. Um, I know that there's so many different schools doing so many different things. I know some schools are still going to be doing like strictly online. I've heard that some of my classes for the upcoming semester are going to be online. So really, um, it's just kind of like up in the air still. I know some schools are, you know, really dedicated to having those in-person classes, but I kind of feel personally uncomfortable with that being the only option. Um, I feel like there should be an option where some students, if they want to come back to school physically, that they can. And if, you know, there's going to be some professors that feel more comfortable doing online classes, then that should be, you know, an option as well. Just because, I don't know, just seeing things on social media, media. I feel like some people still don't take this pandemic as serious as it should. Like I've seen so many people on my timeline, you know, going and traveling and hanging out with groups of people that aren't their family. And it's just like, what are you doing? Like we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like, don't you know what social distancing is? And I don't know. I just... I just feel that a lot of people are just rushing to be able to get to what people thought was the quote unquote normal. And I personally don't think that people should be rushing to try to get that quote unquote normal that they were used to before the whole pandemic happened and like really started affecting a lot of people's different lives you know and I'm talking about more so from like the social aspect and you know there's so many people that are you know wanting to go hang out with their friends or they're moaning and groaning and complaining still and I just don't understand like I don't know like I feel like some people are just uncomfortable with the fact of being alone and some people like thrive off of being in more social settings and just don't like being alone like I know a good amount of people that aren't satisfied with just being on their own and having that alone time and having that time to be able to reflect um, and I think that's why people are really itching at the fact of being able to like go see their friends and it's like just use this time to just be okay with being alone. Like, I just don't understand how people aren't comfortable. Like, I don't know. I just, I just feel like if we're going to be quarantining and states are still mandating that people need to be wearing face masks and social distancing and not be going to a bunch of beach parties or going to social gatherings, whether they're, you know, out in the open for people to see or private in your own home where no one can really see, but the people are there, but people know that it's happening. Like, I just don't necessarily agree with that. Like there's FaceTiming, you can call people, like there's so many things that you could use as far as means of technology to be able to interact with people. Like you don't need to see your friends every day. You know what I'm saying? I know. And I think that's for me talking from personal experience of me doing online school and me 
having to get comfortable with not being able to see my friends every day. So I just feel like people should just use this time to be able to be okay with being alone. And another thing that's been annoying me the most is that I'll go to grocery stores and then still see people not wearing face masks, being up in people's faces, talking with people that they don't know, and that people are still refusing to wear these masks for whatever reason they convince themselves on. And I just don't understand how people don't understand. It was funny because like a few days ago, I saw on Twitter uh, the hashtag, hashtag wear damn mask, and the tweets were so funny. But there are also some that were like very serious and were like, stop being selfish and just wear a freaking mask. Like, it's not that hard. Like, there's healthcare professionals that wear them 12 hours a day and you don't want to wear it for like the like 10 to 20 minutes you're going grocery shopping. You don't want to wear it there. And then there's some there's some people, some special people I've seen that wear the mask in the grocery store And then they take it off when they leave the grocery store, when they're walking in the parking lot, passing by people or people who don't wear a mask in the grocery store, but then put the mask on when they come out the grocery store. And I look at my mom and I'm like, that doesn't make any sort of sense at all to wear the mask. Once you get out of the grocery store, when the point of wearing the mask is to use it as protective gear, So you went into a largely populated area with that. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Then that's just me. And I don't know. I'm just like, my philosophy is like, and I've seen so many tweets about this, is that you wear a mask to protect others if you have it and to protect yourself from others around you. Like, it's a two-way street. And... You just have to get over being uncomfortable because there's so many groups of people in America that have been uncomfortable for years, for centuries. And it's like, and you don't feel comfortable wearing a mask for when you're at work or when you go to the grocery store or if you're doing curbside pickup for whatever, like you don't feel comfortable doing that. And it's like, quote unquote, annoying or, you know, the mask gets like really, really hot and, you know, your face starts feeling uncomfortable. And it's like, well, everybody feels like that. Everybody feels like that. And so it's like you're not special. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone's wearing the mask and the people that are wearing the mask, they feel uncomfortable just like the next person wearing it. Like you think I enjoy wearing a mask? Do you think everyone enjoys wearing a mask? No, 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 no. We don't we don't enjoy it, but we do it because they know that that is the selfless thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the selfless thing to do. So that's just me, and that's my feelings on it. But, yeah, that's basically what's been going on with me. I've been working, um, been watching some Netflix in between on, like, uh, lunch breaks and stuff, and then I've just been thinking about school, what that's going to look like, and just the whole thing with the face mask because I just don't understand. I, I just don't get how people just don't get it. But I guess now that I'm done talking about what's been going on with me, I guess I can get right into the foodie likes. So my first foodie like is from the brand Perrier because this would not be an Oh My Allergies episode if I did not talk about sparkling water as being a part of my foodie likes. 
I do it here. I do it on my blog on Life of a Vegaholic. If you guys didn't know that I have a blog, definitely check it out. I always have it linked in the show notes. I do like vegetarian and vegan friendly recipes and lifestyle tips and kitchen tips and things of that sort. But I'm not getting off topic here. So foodie like my fave has been the Perrier peach sparkling water because it is just it is just amazing. There's no other way to put it, to be completely honest. There's no other way. Um, it's just, it tastes just like a peach. Um, it's just very refreshing. And it just, it's just delicious. Like, there's no other way to say it. I highly, 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 highly recommend you try it, especially if you are a big fan of peaches. I know when I used to be like a really big fruit gal, I used to love peaches and just the overall taste of them. Um, But now I'm not really that big of a fan of like fruits like that anymore, but I'm down to drinking in sparkling water. So I will keep drinking this. And it's so bad because I have to give myself a limit for just sparkling water in general, because if I don't, like, I'll randomly see, like, five, six bottles of sparkling water, and I'll be like, oh, well, who drank that? And I'll be like, oh, you did. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I have to give myself a limit, because I can easily, easily drink through a six-pack of sparkling water easily, like, just easily. So I usually have to have other types of drinks in the house or something to be able to kind of like balance things out because I will just drink that and so I'll try to balance that out with drinking regular water sparkling water in general and then I love a good unsweetened tea Um, I've talked about that on the pod before but yeah so another one of my favorites has been the simple truth organic Uh, sweet and salty seaweed sheets and it's very similar to the wasabi seaweed chips that I talked about in another episode not chips I mean wasabi sheets and except it's just a different flavor obviously it's sweet and salty they're really good actually let me see if I can describe like the flavor of them like I don't know like I don't really know how to describe them but I like them. Like, I don't know. Like, I know I've heard, like, some people describe it as being, like, having, like, somewhat of a fishy taste, but I don't know. It might just taste like that because, I mean, it's seaweed. Like, it comes from the sea, so, like, I don't get that, Um, but I like it, and normally, (laughs) what usually when me and my mom, we go to the grocery store, we get, like, a bunch of, like, seaweed sheets, so we'll get a combination of, like, the wasabi and of the sweet and salty, and it's really good because they're just really easy containers just to pack with you wherever you go. So like if you want to just have them during quarantine, if you're now going back to work, it's a really good snack to be able to bring with you for work. Um, and I would say that they're pretty fulfilling and they're flavorful and they're really relatively low in calories. They're organic. There's not any like preservatives in there that much. So overall, they're like a healthy, healthy snack. So I do recommend trying them at least or just trying seaweed sheets in general because they're really good and they're low in calorie. Now, I'm not a fan of just the regular sea salt ones. They kind of taste pretty bland to me, in my opinion. So normally... If I go for 
you know, seaweed sheets, I go for like the wasabi ones because those will just clear out your nose like so much. Like I was just having a pack of them the other day and literally like I had to take pauses while I was eating them because they were just getting in my nostrils and it was just like my nose was genuinely on fire. Like my nose was so on fire. Like it wasn't even funny. Like I was, I had, my face was just scrunched up. I had like two bottles of water near me. It was just a really bad situation. Um, If I saw somebody else in that position, I'd probably would think it was funny, but I was going through it. So I really did not think it was funny at all, but I highly recommend trying both of them because they're really, really good snacks to have. So another one of my favorites has been from Aldi's. It's their Simply Nature Organic Sly Reds Seeded Ancient Grain Bread. Ooh, that was that was a mouthful. I've been using that lately to make like toast um, or to make like um, like avocado toast and like putting like smoked salmon on it and then sprinkling the everything but the bagel seasoning on it. That is like a perfect breakfast in my opinion. Um, so I've been using it in those types of ways and it's really good bread in my opinion. And I say this as a person who does not eat a lot of bread. (laughs) I would not consider myself, um, a person that just eats a bunch of like toast bread like that. Like, yeah, I'm like a fan of pizza and stuff, but I don't eat toast like that. At least not really anymore, especially when I'm in college on campus. Like I just don't, but I've been doing that because it's an easy breakfast option to be able to have at home. So I've been doing that and I like it because normally like there's so many different breads out there now, but there used to be a lot more processed bread options out there more so than like whole grain sprouted grain types of breads so I'm happy that there's so many other different stores that are providing a lot more options like healthier options so like this has easy to read ingredients in it like I can pronounce everything in the ingredients list and I like that that there's not any types of artificial ingredients in it there's no preservatives in it so you know that you're getting good quality stuff so highly recommend this type of bread if you are looking for more so of a like a whole grain type of bread that has a little bit more nutrients to it than just your old-fashioned white bread that you would find at the cookout to be able to make grilled cheese so that wraps up my foodie likes so I guess now I can get into my foodie dislikes. I think I only have one though. So guys, okay. So I tried this other brand of seaweed snacks because I think when I went to the store that they did not have the Simple Truth Organic wasabi flavored ones. So I saw that this other brand had their own like organic wasabi ones and it was like in a much bigger pack. So I was like, okay, it like it costs a little bit more, but you kind of get a lot more for the price. So it was like, okay, let's try it out. And I think the brand was Annie Chun's. It's Annie Chun's organic seaweed snacks and the flavor of wasabi. Guys, like 
Let me just talk about that salt content because that salt content was really high, especially compared to the Simple Truth ones. I was like, I felt like I was eating a bunch of salt. So I didn't really like how salty they were and that kind of ruined them for me. So I was just like, okay, well, not gonna probably try those again unless they come out with like a reduced sodium version or they have like a reduced sodium line that they have like seaweed snacks for. I was really thrown off and blindsided by the over overwhelming taste of salt and I was like well maybe it's just the sheet that I tried like maybe there's another one maybe it could get better right no it didn't so I was really sad because I was really rooting for it. I know they have other flavors because I went to their website. So I might try their other flavors to see if maybe it was just the wasabi flavor that was just really salty and maybe like another flavor might not be as bad. So might do that. We'll see. But yeah, I was kind of rooting for them and then they kind of fell through in my opinion for me and my taste. So yeah, I was really sad about that. But those are my foodie likes and dislikes. So I I guess I can get right into the allergy news. So the allergy news article I'm going to be talking about today is about how food allergic consumers tend to put more trust in smaller brands. The article is coming from Food Business News, and it's basically an article that is talking with the CEO of FAIR, which is the Food Allergy Research and Education Organization, and they talk about some of the findings that they discovered through a uh, food allergy consumer journey study, which, according to this article, is a series of research projects on food allergy consumers and their shopping habits, and how they worked with this one company to categorize the food allergy marketplace and its economic impacts, and to really be able to provide recommendations for food allergen labeling practices um, for companies. And the key takeaway that they said from this study from all of the different projects was that a universal label was needed when it comes to food allergen labeling and how it was interesting how they say the trust in allergy-friendly packaged products, the percentage of allergic consumers who agree slash strongly agree, there were about 68% allergy-friendly brands, 68% small brands, and 45% large brands. And I just thought that it was interesting. I mean, I guess it makes more sense because smaller businesses tend to be able to focus on those types of issues and concerns from consumers instead of, you know, the bigger companies where there's like so many levels and so many different hierarchies um, in their organization that it has to go through so many people in order to be able to get that type of thing approved but I think that that's probably what it comes down to and that especially with smaller businesses especially local smaller businesses you tend to be able to build that one-on-one relationship with them as far as you know them being in your local community and you're able to see and know more about the ingredients that are in their products especially if they're using all local ingredients so especially with the larger companies not saying that they don't use 
use good ingredients um, or that their labeling practices aren't the best. But um, I think that people are just more apt to trust smaller businesses. And that's what's reflected in this study, basically. But I do agree that there should be some sort of universal label when it comes to being able to spot what is allergen friendly and what's not. I think that that is something that is really, really needed. And I thought it was interesting in the survey that they said that more than half of America's food allergy consumers, they indicated that the current labels are very problematic and that they interfere with their daily lives and that 71% spend three to five minutes on average reading labels for every single single food item that they purchase. And that's something that I identify with. I know that when I'm going to the grocery store, like, you know, I'm flipping the box, I'm flipping the jar, I'm flipping the carton, looking to see if I got all of the ingredients read, you know, looking to see if there's something that's in some type of a clear, small font that I'm missing or something like that. So really, I do understand that. And I think that that there's a need. And I think people and organizations and more businesses really need to take the time to fully understand that like the needs for food allergy consumers and being able to find a balance that where they're able to cater to their consumers, especially because, you know, there's an allergen that's on the rise where it makes it instead of being top eight, you know, there's top nine with the sesame allergy becoming more and more um, prevalent. I think that it's important to make sure that there's a label that as, you know, more studies are conducted, that they're able to put all of those allergens underneath that label. And like you see the label on a product and you're like, you know, it's been stamped approved. You know that it's safe for you to eat. You don't have to think about it, do a double take on it. Like, you know, that you're buying it, it's safe. You don't have to worry about there being like a mishap with the ingredients list, something was printed wrong, or somebody put something in something that was wrong and contaminated the whole batch and then things get recalled. Like you just don't wanna have to deal with any of that type of stuff. So I think that it's important that families with food allergies, that they'll be able to feel more confident with choosing more safe options for their families and being able to have that type of labeling on packaging. I think that that would be really, really beneficial to the to our community so but yeah that is the allergy news so I guess I can get right into today's topic because it's kind of a lot so today I'm going to be talking about if people can actually be allergic to wine and if so what's it really connected to and like the root of this allergy so like fun fact my wines of choice are either Pinot Grigio or Rosé. I'm a big, big fan over here. <laughs> um, but wine, specifically red wine, you know, it's known for its health benefits such as like cardiovascular health, um, containing antioxidants that can help with protecting the lining of, you know, your blood vessels in your heart. It can boost your immune system, it can increase your bone density, and it can do just so many good things for your body, of course, when consumed in moderation. In moderation, people, in moderation. Um, however, like, have you ever had it where when you had a glass of wine or a few glasses of wine that you felt like allergy-like or allergy-esque type of symptoms after drinking it? Now, even though it's rare, it's really possible to have an allergic reaction to wine, which I thought was very, very interesting and intriguing. And it made me want to do a lot more research on it and to be able to talk about it on the podcast with you guys. So some of the symptoms, it can be mild 
and they can be easily mistaken for either seasonal allergies or a cold or even a hangover. So some of the symptoms of wine allergies can be similar to food allergies, actually. So those types of symptoms include either having like a runny nose or experiencing like nasal congestion, feeling a shortness of breath, you know, your mouth, your lips or your throat swells up, or you feel like your lips, your mouth or your throat is like itching or that it's like burning, like it's on fire um, or getting like a rash or getting hives on your body. Um, just like those types of symptoms that kind of come with, you know, dealing with anaphylaxis as well. Now you're probably thinking about, okay, like what can actually cause you to be allergic to wine and like what can contribute to all of, or just some of those symptoms occurring. So the potential allergens that can be found in wine are grapes where, you know, specific proteins can be found in them from studies. Um, that have shown that. Um, Ethanol, so that's the specific type of alcohol that can be found in wine. Yeast, as it, you know, ferments the sugars from the grapes into the ethanol. Sulfites, uh, that can be produced either naturally from the wine or it can be added into the wine by winemakers or uh, thinning agents, which are added during the production phases of wine. And that can include proteins that come from like milk, eggs, and fish. Basically, you know, food allergens. So I just find this stuff so interesting that all of this kind of stuff is just connected together. So one thing I found from researching and looking things up was the fact that most say that wine-specific allergies are most likely caused by sulfites, histamine, or just basically other compounds in wine. So all wine contains sulfites because it is a byproduct of fermentation. But sulfites can also be added, like I was saying before, during the winemaking process. So that's either like before bottling and, you know, also to even sanitize the equipment that's used for the winemaking process. So sulfites as additives, that can either prevent, you know, spoilage, it can help protect It can help with preserving foods and certain beverages by preventing the growth of like mold and bacteria. Um, It can help with stopping fruits and vegetables and, you know, um, other foods from discoloring. Um, Sulfites can also uh, help common medications with maintaining their strength, which I found very interesting. But... The most interesting thing of all was that red wine tends to contain more of those sometimes problematic components than white wine. I found that very interesting because, you know, studies have shown and we've seen so many articles um, from like WebMD and other places talking about the health benefits that come from drinking red wine, but it seems like they tend to be more connected with those sometimes problematic components, like I was saying earlier. So, and that has to do with Um, several of them originating in the skin of grapes. And because of that, usually is left out of white wine. So usually if something is about to pop off when you're drinking wine, it's more apt to happen when you're drinking red wine than white wine. And although, like I said, the skin of grapes is where a lot of wines health benefits come from, that there are negatives that come from them because of them being able to potentially cause an actual allergic reaction. 
So you're probably thinking, okay, all of this information is just a lot. So how do I prevent all of these things from happening? Basically, how do you prevent a wine allergy? So simply put, just don't drink it. Um, if you know the specific component in wine that you're allergic to, you may be able to avoid it. But also what's really, really key, and it's something that I always, always, always talk about on the podcast, is that make sure that you are reading the labels, just period, on anything that you're consuming. So especially wine in this case, because wine labels are required to tell you if the wine in your hand or on the shelf in front of you contains sulfites. So make sure you're reading those labels. Make sure you're reading those labels, people. And just to be on the safe side, just avoid wine altogether. If you're just trying to prevent it, just don't drink it. Just don't drink it. Don't do that to yourself. Just don't drink it. Um, so another thing that I thought about that some people might have questions about is like, okay, what can you do to be like better prepared in situations when you are either coming across it or coming in contact with wine? Then antihistamines work when you're treating a minor reaction to wine. Um, having an EpiPen might be necessary as, you know, wine allergies or in combination with having a sulfite sensitivity that could potentially become really severe. Um, but of course, make sure that you are consulting your healthcare professionals to find out what they recommend and really just work with them to find out the best solutions and tools for you and for your specific case. I always say on the podcast when I'm doing these types of episodes that I am not a healthcare professional. This is things that I do based off of research looking at um, scientific journals and looking at a lot of food allergy um, studies and resources. And I usually always link different resources in the show notes on these episodes so that you all are able to also educate yourselves as well and be able to do further dives in your research because when it comes to food allergies in general it's really and just allergies in general it's really important to make sure that you're educating yourself as much as possible making sure that you are well aware of your allergy making sure you know your allergy front to back as far as symptoms are concerned with your personal symptoms that you tend to deal with um, the different types of medications that you might need to take you know making sure that you're always having those types of conversations with your doctor or healthcare professionals, your allergists, et cetera. Just making sure that you are doing your part and you are reading up on things, you're checking those labels and you are making sure you're knowledgeable about your allergens or your allergen. So hopefully you guys found this episode to be really interesting and really helpful. Like this episode really just blew my mind as far as there's so many details that go into like a wine allergy, like so many different factors and like sulfites and histamine, which I've talked about on the podcast before. Like I have a whole dedicated episode about what is histamine intolerance and basically breaking that down and breaking down histamine. So if you guys want to listen to that episode to get an extension off of this one, then I highly recommend listening to that episode. It's one of my favorite episodes and it's a listener favorite as well. So I highly recommend listening to that episode. But if you guys want me to do more episodes like this, because I really enjoy it because it allows me to learn about a different type of allergy and to be able to bring awareness to an allergy that I'm not really sure if a lot of people even know exist. So I really just want this to be a community in a space that helps 
others to live and thrive with their allergies. So if you guys want me to do more episodes like this, then be sure to rate and review this podcast um, wherever you listen to your podcast. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, wherever you listen, just make sure that you are rating and reviewing because it's really helpful to be able to hear you guys' feedback on what you guys want to know about, what you guys like about the podcast, and just be able to know that you guys are finding these episodes really helpful. Um, If you are not subscribed to the podcast already, like seriously, definitely hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on really good conversations like this one. And if you are not following the Oh My Allergies podcast on Instagram, you definitely should. Always leave the link to that in the show notes. And I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye.